Well, I'm so glad you're here tonight as we celebrate what it is that this season is really all about. Of course, the Christmas time and the festivities and the lights and the gifts and the families and all the things that we do are part of the season. But the real reason that we gather, especially on this night, this Lord's Day, this Sunday is the Lord's Day, and so we gather on this Lord's Day to celebrate the, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not just any birth. It has been foretold in the Old Testament. It was realized in the New Testament. But when we think about this particular season, one of the things I've been going through with our people here at the chapel is we, we, we started by looking back at the Old Testament. When we start thinking about the birth of Christ, the natural question becomes, what makes it unique, right? What makes it special? What makes it so necessary? What makes it a point in history that when we look back on it, we sing of a holy night divine and Christ the Lord, and we sing of salvation. We sing, come thou long expected Jesus. Why was he expected? Why was there longing? Those are all questions, I think, at the time of Christmas. It's good and right and fit for us to ask. Well, as I've been doing here at the chapel, one of the reasons that makes it such a longed-for event, such an historical moment, such an opportunity for us to rejoice and celebrate is because Adam and Eve in Genesis in the garden had plunged us into sin, had plunged humanity into a place of death and separation, a broken relationship with their Creator, Yahweh, and that needed to be restored, right? And, 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 and all that humans did, all the things that they could muster up in themselves, even if they sought to win the Lord's favor with good works, it came up short because something in humanity, you see, had been broken. Something deep had been broken in humanity, and we were lost from God. And God said, there, there's got to come a point to where I'm going to bring restoration. It's actually the first hint of restoration, the first prophecy of rest restoration, the first promise of restoration comes in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We just read it this past Lord's Day together here at the chapel, that God would put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the serpent would bruise his heel, and the seed of the woman would bruise or crush his head, would bring a victory. And so tonight, if you've even had a chance to look at your bulletin and you saw Romans 3, perhaps you wondered, what in the world is this pastor going to talk about? That is not the Christmas story. I'm actually going to talk to you tonight about the Christmas story, because the Christmas story is about darkness. The Christmas story is about brokenness. The Christmas story is about lostness, but it's about a light coming into the darkness. It's about a mender of souls coming to heal what is broken. It is about a seeker coming to seek and save that which has been lost and give us something that evades humanity apart from Jesus, beloved, and that is hope. Oh, we sing of hope. We sing of peace. We sing of all these jubilant things. But let me tell you, if you're sitting here tonight and you don't know it, there is hope in one destination, one end, one person, and His name is Jesus Christ. 
And so when we come and we gather and we, and we sing and, and, we, and we lift up Scripture and prayer, these things are not rote. This is not just for a seasonal service. This is to proclaim to all who would hear that Jesus Christ is the hope of mankind, that He is the Savior of those who are lost, and that He brings righteousness to those who are lost and, and not found in the Lord. Tonight, I'm going to read a short paragraph here. It comes right after the… or it's in Romans, rather Romans chapter 3. I'm looking at verses 21 to 26. And it is no coincidence where this… what I'm reading to you, where it comes from. It comes right after a very long paragraph of Paul telling the Roman church and all who would read this exactly what shape Genesis 3 left humanity in, that when Adam and Eve fell from grace, it tells us exactly where it left us, and there are phrases in the previous paragraph for, uh, that says, no one understands, no one seeks God, none is righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one, and so forth and so on. And so the paragraph we're looking at is response to that. It's response to that. This, the paragraph we're looking at, what, what, uh, if you could break down Romans 3, into a very easy, bite-sized little way of understanding it. Think of why, why, human, why humanity needs the incarnation, that is the coming of Jesus in the flesh, and what the incarnation does for us. So why do we need it? Paul lays it out very clearly because of sin. Now, well, what does it do, right? Is, is it just a nice thing? Is it, is it just something that we can sing some, some familiar songs and, and talk about at one particular time of year? Or is it a, a, a magnificent event that has a ripple effect that goes into eternity? Well, I'll tip my hand. It's the second one of those. Um, it, is, it is a magnificent event that ripples out into eternity, and so, let's read here what Paul says here, starting in verse 21, Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for all who believe, there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So ends the reading of God's Word. May He add His blessing. That is a beautiful paragraph, and it gets to the very heart of the incarnation. When we speak of the incarnation, again, when I use that word, all I'm talking about is Jesus coming in the flesh, that when Jesus was born, a, a child has been born, a son has been given. This child was born for this end. This son was given for this end. Those two verses getting at those, the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. We needed this one to come to rectify, to make right what Adam and Eve had done. If we follow Paul's logic here, we get the primary issue at, at work here is there is a lost righteousness. We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. When you read this, uh, Romans 3 makes this very clear. For all, everybody, for all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. Beloved, that is meant to put us in a hopeless situation. It's meant to make us look at that and ponder for a moment. If that's true, well, what does that mean? It means we need something, and we need something that Paul and other writers in the New Testament have said we can't get on our own. That means we need something that all the passages that the elders at the chapel just read here a few moments ago announcing the birth of Christ, that is what the New Testament is saying. That is the need. That is the need when we talk about being a people who uh, need righteousness, a righteousness of God manifested apart from the law. We're talking about a righteousness or the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For whom? All who believe. The two things that you and I contend with as human beings, or let's, let's put it this way, one of the primary things that you and I contend with as human beings is a lack of belief. Even when truth is sometimes presented to us, we find ourselves in the skeptic's position. And sometimes we might not even believe what we see with our eyes. And part of that is because though God made us to have faith in Him, sin has somehow robbed us of this, and it has caused us to be skeptical, to lack in trust, to lack in belief, to lack in our ability to walk in relationship with Him. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, there's a reason, there is a reason that one of the first things we find out about this child who hasn't been born yet, who's in Mary's tummy growing, and the angel is telling Joseph, be patient and trust the Lord, there's a reason that that angel, one of the first things he says of the incarnate Christ growing in, in Mary's womb is, he shall save his people from their sins. So we're getting at this, that the Messiah who would come, dear friends, was not coming to give us a fun party to celebrate. He was not coming to simply make life a little easier, to give uh, the people in Israel political rest. He was coming to save people from their sins. People like you, people like me, people like we'll never meet, and many who've passed on before us who understood this. This is why Jesus came. This little paragraph here, one of the most beautiful things you're ever going to find in the New Testament is right in here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the problem. That's why we need the incarnation. That's why we celebrate tonight. And, beautiful little conjunction here, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And so when we come, well, the crux of the issue this evening and every evening and every day is that we were lost from God, the image in Him marred by sin, not completely robbed, not completely stolen, not, not broken beyond repair but shattered and needed to be pieced back together. And though men have tried on their own, there's only one name under heaven by which men and women are saved, and it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not your name, not my name, not any works that we can muster up. Is it good to do good things? Of course it is. But understand that those are not the redeeming things that we need. We need the work of Christ. And as Paul lays this out, when he talks about the righteousness 
that God's righteousness, and he says, speaks of the righteousness of God and God's righteousness. I want you to understand something here. It's so easy to think of this purely in moral terms. It's just that we don't do things wrong. There's an element of morality to righteousness. We cannot deny that. It is a moral idea. But the righteousness that God has in mind is not simply ticking off a box of doing it right and not doing it wrong. It is relational. The beautiful word here, the Greek word dikaiosune, it implies a relationship. It implies, that, it implies, rather, that we are rightly related to the king, that we are rightly related to his law. It, re, it implies that we are rightly walking in relationship with him. We're not just living our lives, spinning our wheel, wheels. We're not just twisting in the, wind. If you, uh, in the wind. If you live in this culture, if you live in this time, you see all the bad stuff out there. And so what would we do? How would we respond? How would we live? Do we say Merry Christmas cheaply and not think about it any other day of the year? Or do we recognize that Jesus has brought fundamental transformation through His blood and through His life? And though we were walking in darkness, we have seen a great light, and His name is Jesus. And He has come to give you hope. So tonight, the reality of sin is death. The reality of sin is an obstacle between us and the Lord but the hope of the incarnation and life of Christ is those obstacles have been taken away and Jesus has, has bid us come near. And so when we sing our songs, O come, O come, Emmanuel, there's a longing there. It's not just, it's not just come and, and, and release us from physical imprisonment, but break the chains of sin that bind us and give us the freedom to pursue you. Paul, bringing this short little paragraph to a close, he speaks of God and His passing over sins that He might lay them on Jesus for our sake. He says it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Tonight, just a, a final thought or two, the gospel bids us to come and believe. The gospel bids us in the midst of death and destruction and chaos and despair to come and believe into the one and in the one who reigns supreme and who gives life, who gives hope, who is merciful, who is kind, who is generous, who is good, and all the other names that our chaps read out a few moments ago. The one who says, I know all your imperfections, and I long to be gracious to you. The one who says, I know all your shortcomings, and I long to have you near. The one who says, I know all your despair, but trust in me, and I will give you hope. Beloved of God, that is what it means to walk with Christ the righteousness of Christ is a right relationship with God through Christ so that now we don't despair. And when we sing of, of the birth of Christ and the ramifications of that, in the midst even of our own grief, some of you may be grieving tonight, and legitimately so, but in the midst of our grief, we can celebrate that Jesus gives us freedom, that Jesus gives us life, that Jesus gives us strength and He gives us renewal. So in just a few moments, we're going to sing some more songs, and maybe, 
just maybe we might sing them a little louder, even though it's been loud enough. It's been great. I love having all your voices in here. But we'll sing them with a little gusto because Jesus Christ is born, and that means life to those who believe. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his word. Thank you for the life that he lived and the, the things that he wrought, the precious truths that he gave us and gives us, his intercession, his work on our behalf, and all the other things that are innumerable in this moment. Father, you have given us a gift in the incarnation. His name is Jesus. You have given us a Christmas that is worth celebrating every day of the year because if we are in Christ tonight, we are free indeed. And so, Father, I pray for our minds and hearts to be driven to the beauty of the incarnation, the power of what it represents, and the reality that we are delivered from the bonds of death and that we might stand even in grief and lament in the joy of who Jesus is. It's through his name we pray. Amen.